When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. We are deep in the weeds of doing Warren Buffett style investing, which and has trying us... to handle this uh up and down craziness market while remaining emotionally filled with equanimity and calm and maybe mm-hmm. even becoming more anti-fragile by knowing ourselves better. Hmm. How does wow. that sound? Would we just wander into the weeds of uh, a a psychology experiment here? Yeah, it sounds it's good. Life. I like it. <laughs> I like it. There's so much about investing that's tied into the way your emotions work. It's just Absolutely. you can't you can't um, you can't you you can't even imagine how driven by emotion most investing decisions are, including the decision many of you are making, which is not to get involved. Oh, so true. Absolutely. I, I don't want to do this. Go go read. If you haven't read the book yet, read Invested. Danielle <laughs> writes splendidly about not wanting to be involved. Thank you. It's quite, <laughs> quite good. At, at length and over chapters. Do not want to do this. Stay away. Terrifying. But and, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot to do with the unknown is terrifying because there's a lot of scary things that could be in the unknown and often being afraid of it is very reasonable. But being able to learn and tiptoe is a really great way to learn to Is there something scarier out there than just like losing your money? I mean, a lot of unknowns. That's kind of scary. It is scary, (laughs) I would think. But that's it. That's That's the scary thing. Yep. That's and of course, thing. you can do all the all the rest of the things that go along with losing your money, which is now I'm going to have to eat cat food when I'm old, or yeah. even worse, come and live with my children. Oh dear Lord! <laughs> well, considering <laughs> that the event. end of my book, which was about living your authentic life and becoming more free, ended with me living with my mother. <laughs> 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 I will say that's not always a bad thing. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes it's apparently a great there's part of your quite, life. Apparently there's quite a large number of people. There was an article in the, in the Wall Street Journal today about something this editorial writer was calling um, the cybos. What's that? So these are cyber bohemians, meaning that they're just staying locked up in the dark on their phones or computers, living in their parents' basement oh. and having no desire whatsoever to take a job, to be a contributing member of society, uh-huh. nothing. Like apparently this is quite a thing. Um, explaining- bohe- like the bohemian vibe is very like artistic and contributing to society through art and magical creations and, and not necessarily being about selling out and money, but but this is not so much. 
I think he was that. defining bohemians as like the original definition of bohemians back when people didn't like them. Ah. Something like useless human being is okay, the it. translation sort of thing. <laughs> so I, I, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe living in the basements is something that other people are finding to be perfectly, perfectly good idea. Pretty, I mean, it started maybe big time during the pandemic and maybe a lot of people aren't coming out. It's possible. Maybe. I mean, there's like well, 11 I hope million everybody jobs. Everybody down there is learning to invest and making a crap ton of money off of well, their me, newfound knowledge. Me too. And by the you way, you can do I'm, that from the basement. I, I'm. I, I know this probably will go badly with some people, but I find it. I know there are, there are a lot of you out there who are perfectly willing to work a nine to five job and just grind it out. Right. I mean, that's life. You, you got to do what you got to do to feed the family. And I completely honor that and appreciate it. My dad did that. Your grandfather ground it out, you know, just in a job that I don't think he liked particularly. And I think about the time he retired, he was replaced entirely by a computer. I mean, yeah. it's just sort of that sort of job. And um, but, you know, from, from that, I just saw it. it's a. I don't know. I've a long time. I was really getting out in the weeds, but for a long time, I've sort of admired the cultures that were more alive than that. You know, hmm. I don't know. When I was guiding in the down in, on, on the Tuolumne River, um, we had a rapid that I'd actually named earlier on in the season when we were doing our one of the first exploratories of the Tuolumne. And we decided we could run this river commercially, and there was this rapid called chicken shit that was basically was that the one you named i named it because <laughs> i was I, I was sitting in the boat when we crashed and went swimming for this rapid oh. and um another guy named sandy was was on the oars when we came back to the rapid we were, we were reading and, and going and so we really sometimes didn't know where we were and a lot of the river looks the same right boulders and rapids and the whole thing hmm. and um sandy was watching me and I came toward this rapid and I realized what it was. And he said, let me do it. Let me do it. Let me do it. Cause he wanted to get it. Like, not flip. like meaning put him on the oars. Yeah. Let me get back on the oars. So just the two of us in the boat. So I, I jumped off, he got on and the idea that we could see from having flipped there before we went back upstream and walked up and looked at it was to tuck the boat behind this boulder. You got to go slide down the side of the boulder, suck the, the tail of the boat in the, the, the stern into the eddy and it would swing the nose of the boat just perfectly so you wouldn't hit this house size rock uh -huh. giant thing that was right in front and then you would miss it and it would be perfect and sandy started coming down there and at the last moment he chickened out and rode his butt off into the gravel and just graveled our way down over rocks and just sharp stuff and just grinding the boat and I'm going oh man we're gonna blow a tube and we get to the <sighs> other end of it and I'm like you chicken shit I can't believe you just did that oh. right so and we that was all it. to avoid getting sucked in under that gigantic you just you just rock. wasn't yeah yeah because we yeah, got yeah. sucked in under that rock yeah. first time through oh. right so the first commercial trip down there the other guides had not yet run this rapid they were taking people for money and they hadn't done it yet? It was the 70s. Yeah, was, I just <laughs> knew you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And so I said, let me lead this thing down, right? I hadn't run it yet either, but I knew what I was about. You and just had done it twice, no? I haven't been rowing. Ah. So I knew what I wanted to do. So I, I led and I nailed it, got in right behind the boulder, Sick. pulled the boat around. That's right. Perfect little run. We slide over and we go into this uh, eddy below this big boulder and we're, we're sort of hovering to watch how everybody else is doing it. And um, another boat came through okay. And then the third boat didn't. And he missed the pull in, got hit by the rock and just went upside down. And the people in his boat went into this cold river and um, they didn't come up. I mean, when I went in, I popped up fast, right? But these guys didn't come up and they were an older couple. Um, and I think one other person in their guide, the two other people came up, the guide came up and this other person did, but the, the, the other couple did not come up. I'm, I'm on the shore. We've at this point, we've tied off and I'm yelling at a guy to untie us. And he's, he, the boat's got so much tension on it from the rapid that he couldn't get the knot loose. So I jumped up, cut it, cut the boat loose, jumped back on the oars as we swung out. And just as we swung out, this, yeah, just as we swung out, this woman popped up. She's about in her mid sixties. I grabbed her by the life of life jacket, pulled her into the boat. And then her husband popped up, oh, grabbed him, pulled him in the boat. They must've been we, hypothermic. Oh, they were so hypothermic. And they'd been underwater for like 30 seconds or something. It oh felt like an eternity. Oh. I know. And we were now being swept downstream into this next rapid and just boulders everywhere. So I'm on the oars trying to get our way through and get to the shore as quickly as we can. We pull over, found a place downriver, and the other boats pulled over with me. And we built this giant fire up on this rock slab oh, and yeah. put up... We like we put our oars, we grabbed oars and we put them all up together in a kind of a teepee and put tarps around it and and started putting rocks on this fire and built like, I don't know, it was really a cool sweat lodge that we just like whipped up, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just to get and, as much uh, heat into them as possible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and we brought had, them in there. How'd that work? Worked really, really good. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. They came back really fast. Oh, uh, having such flashbacks to that story. Like they, you told me that story so many times when I was little, the older couple and oh Lord, super intense. Yeah, yeah. Super intense. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But the, the point of this was that one of the guides pulled out a book um, that had quotes in it. And one of the quotes was from, oh, who is this writer? I've forgotten the guy's name. From back in the early 1900s. Um, I want to say War of the Worlds author. Let me see if that comes up. Who is the War of the Worlds author? So basically you, you guys all just went through. H.G. Wells. It's right. Almost... 
at least uh, a near-death experience for them and then a sort of near-death experience by proxy for the rest of you. So you're just, what, like decompressing and freaking out over being alive. Yeah, so he gets his book out and he reads this quote from H.G. Wells, which I'm just going to paraphrase here, but basically says that most people live such a protected life that they never deal with the real elements, the elements of living, the real, I wish I could read read it. I don't know where that quote is. Maybe you guys can find it for mm. me. And I'm, I just wonder, you know, when you think about the kind of, the kind of jobs most people have um, are, are just kind of getting by, right? I mean, and then I also, I, I don't know, I love a book called, um, I'm going to get this wrong too. I think it's Empire of the Summer Moon. I think that's right. Empire of the Summer Moon, yeah. About Quanta Parker and the rise and fall of the Comanches. Mm-hmm. And one of the points that the author made, is a book by uh, S.C. Gwynn, one of the points that Gwynn made was that the Comanche males, the male warriors, were probably the freest human beings ever to live on the planet. That they had almost literally no rules. They had almost literally no hierarchy. Um, every problem was solved in some way. It could be a violent solution. It could be a negotiated solution. It could be everybody walks away or change tribes or go to different groups or whatever. It is, there were, the, the Comanches, according to Gwen, were almost free of rules for the males. I'm sure it was quite different yeah. from the females. But it definitely was. Point being, but what's the point? That they didn't want to quit being Comanches at all. The European life, the disconnect from nature, the rules and obligations and moral codes and all of the squeezing in on on you that were done by European culture, Western culture, were anathema to the Comanches. I mean, they 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 fought to preserve their life as well as probably any people ever have done and and were successful at preserving their life their culture for 200 years mm-hmm. i mean that's a long time when people are trying to move in on you mm-hmm. and uh and were unsuccessful and they they controlled an area larger than the state of texas that went from mexico to call to uh, basically wyoming and were phenomenally successful people and i guess just the remarkable thing about it is how vital life was for a comanche i mean everything mattered every person mattered in some way in a way that just isn't the case today you know so i'm i'm just putting pieces together here from my experience of kind of living i don't know living out there on the edge a little bit for about 10 years as a guide and not having money, not having a real career or anything, but having a a, a job that was a vital job, right? I mean, not, yeah. that, not, not that somebody needed to be on a river trip, but once you're on it, what I did mattered every day, all day long. I, pretty much every minute that I spent out there mattered. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important somehow. And I guess when we come to think about investing, one of the amazing things about that is that it gives you 
the ability, if you're successful as an investor, you have the financial freedom to, to live a vital life, to live what you would consider to be a vital life. You don't have to go down there and do nine to five for somebody selling Cheerios if you don't want to. Not There's anything wrong with Cheerios. I love Cheerios. I'm glad you guys are selling it if you're in that job. But to do something that you consider that you're passionate about, that, that's vital, that's important, that makes a difference to your people, I think is a really fulfilling life. And and so many of us don't have that opportunity. We're locked in, mm-hmm. right? We're locked in. And I think so, that's what you're saying is exactly the frustration that has been building and building and building for 10, 20 years. And now people are starting to, large numbers of people are starting to really act on it to say, this is not worth it. Selling the Cheerios is not worth it anymore. I'm not getting paid enough. I'm barely making my rent with this minimum wage job. I can't pay for health insurance, et cetera, et cetera. The car costs too much, you know. Yeah. Um, it's cheaper to live month to month with rented stuff than it is to buy anything. Nobody can buy a house. Um, yeah. All of the student loans don't, you know, that's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, and it, it really feels like the deck is stacked against you and I think every generation coming up has probably felt like this the deck was stacked against them I think more and more and more but more and more absolutely because that's not incorrect um that's not we have far less opportunities to build a better life than certainly our parents did than our grandparents did and I mean we in our book, Dad, it put an entire section about the cost of buying a house and how it's not even possible on a standard salary anymore. Whereas when my grandparents were buying their house, they could do it as a young family with two kids um, right. on one salary that was yep. not a highly trained job. And that's just 100% not possible maybe in a couple of towns in you know america and europe but in general not possible um so people feel that and i think what you're saying really taps into something because when you start to feel like no matter how much you work you can't accomplish a better life or an easier life or even make one for your kids necessarily you start to think i'm gonna opt out of this complete bs system and what what's the other option so some people are you know living in their parents house i get it i get it too. some people are going back to nature more like you that's where your head went that's where a lot of people's heads go and forming more like communal living societies in places where they can work remotely and have a tech job remotely but live cheaply in an inexpensive area There's people who have given up the entire I live somewhere concept and have become, what do they they call it, cyber nomads or something, where you just go and live in Airbnbs and friends' houses and just work from wherever and save the money you would spend on a mortgage or rent. So people are, are finding ways around it and, you know... It's a topic probably for an enormous book, but I do see a connection between this stock market going up and up and up. And now 
kind of as like people are realizing, oh, this really isn't going to change. Um, what isn't going to change? This um, economic, personal finance economic situation. Ah, yeah. Um, and seeing the stock market just go crazy because of, I mean, that was one option, right? Like people have been getting into like, oh, I have access to the market. I'm learning about it. I'm able to do some of my own investing. And what that mm -hmm. means is buying stocks. And when you buy stocks, those stocks go up in price. So mm -hmm. that has been coming into it, I think. And then now as we're post-pandemic and sort of it's becoming real, like what does post-pandemic look like? I don't know the answer to that. Nobody does. So well, man, just think about all of the, the people who are doing everything that they were told to do. Right. Um, and struggling to figure out why do, why do I just feel so removed from real life? Why, why, why does this feel like this is a good life? You know, I've done all the hard work in school. I've gone to college. I've got a degree and here I am doing this job that I hate. And it just doesn't feel like any of that was worth it. But yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree a little bit on just one piece of this. I do think actually, if you are young and you don't have children, you don't get children, and you finish high school and are literate, right? I mean, you can read and you can write and you can okay. do basic math. Uh -huh. I think if you work hard, you do get ahead. Absolutely. You pull yourself out. You will come out of poverty. And there's a ton of data that that's true. Oh, so if you start in poverty. Yeah, if you start in poverty. <laughs> okay. But I mean, obviously, and there's a lot, there's way too many people who do. And, and many of those people are people who feel like there's no way out when in fact, they've just painted themselves in a corner by having a, a, a just a, a tough upbringing that doesn't let them understand what are the right things you have to do in order to get out of there. And then yeah, by I the mean, same token, of factors that play you can be too. born rich and most, most people who are born rich find ways to squander the money. And that's also well-documented. So mm -hmm. in fact, the New York times ran this thing where it showed people flowing out of the poorest class and out of the richest class. So the rich are getting richer, but it's different rich hmm. and the poor are getting poor. But unfortunately it's the same poor. Hmm. It's just the pe people aren't getting out of there. So I think if you do work hard, you can get out of that kind of poverty situation. But assuming, kind of like assuming that you've gotten out of there or have, have those opportunities, you're privileged enough to be raised with the right values for this society. Well, to frankly, be able to, to have ahead, help. To have help. have help. Like I then, so but often But then you're, think you can be stuck. You can be stuck. Yeah, I mean... Absolutely oh, like you get stuck. ahead, but ahead is not a lot. It is ahead. not where you want to be. Got it. And then that's, and those are the, I don't think it's people in poverty who are sitting in their mom's basement playing cyber games. No. Right? This is the middle class or the, or upper middle class or even upper class. Maybe. But so more. with that frustration, I mean, certainly like I've found investing to be a rather extraordinary thing in my own life. You found investing to be a rather extraordinary thing in your own life. So we can talk on that. But is that the answer for everybody? Of course not. So yeah, it's oh, a but of course systemic it problem. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> of course it is. As, so you have to use what, what society gives you and find a way to take that and make yourself free. 
I think that's what it kind of boils down to. Yeah. And I was just lucky. I had good karma. I didn't know what I was doing when I accepted this apprenticeship. I had no idea. It just was a door that opened and all the rest of the doors at that point in my life seemed closed. I was at the point of just like, I'm not going to be a river guide anymore. I'm, I'm just fried. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to do it anymore. And, you know, that door opened and I went through it just hoping something good would happen. So I was lucky. Well, and, and we're to trying your credit, to help a you're insanely smart and able to take opportunities very quickly when they come up. Like that's something you're really good at. I don't think I'm in, in, although I appreciate this very much, my daughter, I don't think I'm insanely smart, you know? I do. I, I can work hard. I can work hard at something yeah. I really want. I can grind. Yeah. You know? And you've like got when the I smarts wrote... to grind. <laughs> well, I thank you. Um, that's nice of you to say. I think honestly, though, if you've got an average IQ, you can do this. I mean, I think I have a pretty average IQ, maybe a little bit above average or something, but not super smart by any means. And, uh, you know, a lot of people look at Buffett, who is uh, absolutely super smart, and think, well, he can do it, but I can't because he's smart. But he's said this over and over again, that this isn't a game where IQ wins. Yeah. This is a game where discipline wins. I agree. This is this is what it is. You know the basic rules of how to play and then be disciplined about it. Yeah, now, the and catch I, is just, you got to get some money. Yeah, that's true. But I just want to say, like, I didn't mean smart regarding investing. Of course, you're smart regarding investing. I meant like when those opportunities come up, a lot of people won't jump on them. That's true. And you, maybe smart's the wrong word, but you're able to like see it. You're you're able to recognize it as an opportunity. I've seen you do that a lot of times. And I think a lot of people don't simply don't recognize it as the opportunity that it is. Um, Or they're afraid of it or whatever. And I've certainly done that many times. So, you know, I get it. I think I've just got a But there's something there with that moment of, it's something I've been trying to think about myself because there have been times in my life where I've been like, this is something I'm going to do, period. And... I don't know how I'm recognizing this, but I am and I'm going to make it happen. And I've been very successful with those moments. So there's, there's something to that, like saying, okay, this is, this is a thing that's important and that matters and it's worth my time and attention and shifting things in my life to make it happen. Well, the thing is people, people try to figure out what those things are by looking at your life or my life or Buffett's life or somebody that they admire and say, oh, well, they did these things and these things are what led them to this, mm-hmm. this good life. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a, there's a step that goes before that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been meditating since you were five. I taught you to meditate at five years old. Mm-hmm. And I've been meditating since I got back from Vietnam, so 1972. And I think that meditation... Um, brings you transcendence and transcendence brings you that sense of what's right in your life. And I think Mm. that comes from contemplative. I think transcendence comes from contemplative prayer, Mm. long distance running, long distance swimming, playing basketball at the level of a Kobe Bryant, getting in the zone in athletics. I think there's 
various many, kinds many, of meditation. There's multiple many kinds, kinds of, of meditation. Of transcendence. And many yeah. if we want to call all those kind of a meditation, then yes. Many kinds of meditation. In meditation in activity with your eyes open. You know? Yeah. I mean Melissa goes in she calls it meditation. She's walking through the woods and she's just a part of nature there and has these transcendent experiences. So You know what? I was just listening to Smartless, which is a great podcast that like everybody should listen to with um Jason Bateman and Will Arnett and Sean Hayes. It's a comedy podcast and they just like have their Hollywood comedy friends come on and like shoot the shit. And Jade literally was listening to this this morning. And they had Justin Thoreau on. It was an older episode. And um, and they were talking about transcendental meditation. They said, you know, have you ever done it? Because he's friends with, who's the Hollywood director who's really into TM? Um, Chris, Clint Eastwood was no, no, one no, of them. No, 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 no. The one who started the foundation. Oh, uh, yeah. David, David Byrne. David, uh, David, David Bur- Lynch. David Lynch. Lynch. David Lynch. So he's friends with David Lynch. So they said, have you ever done TM? He said, yes. Da, 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 da. Jason Bateman said something like, I've tried to do lots of kinds of meditation. I can never tell if it's working. And that struck me so much because it is so, sorry, Jason Bateman, I hope you listen to this. Go try TM again because it was so (laughs) the wrong concept around meditation. There's no working or not working. And there's no telling if it's working or not working. It's simply the experience that's it it's about what you experience accepting it coming out of it going back to your regular life having the experience accepting it no you wouldn't say that i would say i would say it a little differently i would say the experience you're having doesn't matter at all yeah that's what i'm trying to say yeah and so you're having the experience it doesn't matter what the experience is and then the proof of the meditation being working is your life gets better. And by better, what I mean is that you start to have better ideas of what to do. You, what, what you want to do starts to work better. Oh, that's you start a good to point. be happier. Yes. You start yeah, to experience so to bring more that joy. To your why I even thought of this. to improve. Right. You, you start have, to be more connected in your life. Yeah. Healthier having better relation, feeling more calm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Actually, you're right. I take but it, it back. Takes a while. That it is, takes a while for those seeds, to, those seeds to yeah. sprout. I remember, you know, it's just like when I first started meditating, I um, did it because your uncle said, oh, you got to do this. So I thought, what the heck, I'll try it. And I learned to meditate up in Marin County and, and uh, Dolores Johnson taught me. And she's a little hippie chick and a little hippie dress this little altar and he's swinging flowers around and i'm like whatever and then um i learned to meditate it was really easy and i went and she said okay that's it i'll see you tomorrow and we'll do another class i got in my car and i started driving down the hill out of mill valley and i started laughing so hard (laughs) i mean i i was you know like the word overjoyed I was yeah. overjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I was so overjoyed. I had to pull over. <laughs> I couldn't stop. It was this massive release <laughs> that happened, you know, a few minutes after I had meditated. And and, um, and then it just sort of like, oh, okay, it just became routine and it wasn't a big deal. 
And I got my next boost by going to like a five day meditation course about six months later where I thought, holy smokes, this really is powerful stuff when you, when you do it a lot. And um, so I, you know, I got real, I got real into it obviously and became a teacher and all that kind of thing. But well, I'm not, I, I don't have a real ax to grind here. I mean, I, I think there's a ton of different kinds of meditation. Yeah. Well, I, I think what I was trying to say, and I, I completely agree with you that there is signs that it's working. It's making your life better, but those signs are later and they're over a longer period of time. Yes. And yes. I think what he said was that he was trying to tell like, while it was happening, is this working? Is this working? Or maybe like immediately after, like, did that work? Yes. And, and that's what struck me as just thinking about it so off. Like it's just not related to what's happening. Yeah, you're right. And you're so right. I think, you know, I say this all the time to people who are learning investing. It's exactly the same process. It's like it may not feel like it's working right now and it may not make sense and it may be frustrating and it's about coming back to it over and over and doing a little bit more and understanding a little bit more and reading a little bit more and finding a little bit more companies or subjects that are interesting to learn about and exciting and add value to your life and over time it adds up to become something that makes life better and then when that opportunity shows up as it inevitably does, hopefully we can recognize it. This sounds it. quite a lot like an investing practice, doesn't it? It sure does. Gosh, <laughs> if only. Amazing. Well, I had called it. Those two Wait things a second. Are quite I similar. do call it an investing practice. Um, yeah. We got to go, Dad. We're yeah, just we rambling go. on today. We were going to talk about the market dropping, but guys, that's going to happen next week. Yep, so. we should we should probably wrap it right there. Who knows? Maybe we'll come back and talk about this whole meditation thing more. Shoot us little. If you guys have questions or comments, you know, fire them away. Um, they go questions to questions at investedpodcast.com. Questions at investedpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you and we will uh, take more of these as we get them. So uh, until then, time to go play. See Thanks, ya. everybody. And stay calm in the storm. Right. <laughs> right Just on. stay calm in the storm. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.